0: All right. I want to welcome all of our campuses to the sixth and the final week of our series entitled Hope Again. Come on. Let's just welcome all those that are joining us. Man, we're excited about this. So we are wrapping up a journey that we've been on. By the way, it's not the end of our journey as a Christian. It's just the end of this series, I thought I'd add. We have been looking at the book of Romans, and for those of you that maybe are new here or... Maybe you've just been here the last couple of weeks. We like to teach the Bible at Church King. And here's the reason why. Because we believe that the Bible transforms people's lives. The Bible is truth. Everyone say truth. And when your life is framed by the Word of God, the Bible says this. The actual Word of God says this. Heaven and earth shall pass away. But my, what, say it? Word. Shall never pass away. In other words, the Word of God is what we base our life upon. And that's why it's so important that we believe in teaching the Word of God to instruct, to build our faith so that we can move forward in life. Yes, so that our soul can be secure in eternity with God forever, but also that we can live the overcoming life, the abundant life that Christ died on the cross to give us in the here and now. If you weren't here last week, we talked about something very interesting. I want to encourage everybody again to go back and to listen to it. Because I talked about a message. I've only taught on it one other time in 22 years of Church of the King. And it is, what is the role of the law in the life of the New Testament believer? Specifically, the moral law. Specifically, the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments, the question that people often ask is, you know, does the Ten Commandments apply today? Was it just the Old Testament? Well, you need to listen to the message. Very, I trust a very helpful message. Speaking of... The Ten Commandments. A Sunday school teacher was asking her five-year-old Sunday school class about the Ten Commandments, and she said, what commandment relates to your parents? And this little five-year-old raised her hand and said, honor your mother and father, and everybody clapped and And then she said, before we go on, is there any commandments that relate to how we should treat our brothers and sisters? This little boy immediately raised his hand, yes, thou shalt not kill. Come on, you know. (laughs) The Bible applies to every relationship in our life. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to Romans chapter 8. Paul, Paul is writing to the church at Rome. Again, for those of you that have not been here, Rome was the imperial city, very powerful city, most powerful city in the day. Rome controlled the world at that time. Paul is actually, ironically, writing to a church at the moment, at this time, he'd never been to Rome. Now, he ends up going to Rome towards the end of his life, but yet, at this moment when he writes it, he'd never been there. And yet, he was dealing with these huge theological themes. He was writing to the church. It consisted of both Gentile believers in Jesus and Jewish believers in Jesus. And he was, he was setting forth some huge things, what it means to know God and what it means to, by the way, if you weren't here, I mean, I've been going through this, chapter two, three, four, what does it mean to, quote, be in Adam? That was two weeks ago, three weeks ago. What it means that when we trust our Christ as our Savior, we're actually taken out of Adam. We're born with an Adamic fallen nature. Paul talks about we're taken out of Adam and we're actually placed into, everybody say it, Christ. What does it mean to be born in Adam? What does it mean to be reborn in Christ? Paul talks about these huge themes for these young believers, and he comes to chapter 8, which is honestly one of the best chapters. I believe in all of the Bible. It's one of my favorite. Two of my theme verses that I love, Romans 8.28 and Romans 8.31, I'm going to talk about it today, are actually found in this chapter. A very, very powerful chapter. Romans chapter 8, verse 12 to 39. We're going to finish up our series. Paul deals with three big topics. Number one, he's clearing up their concept of God. By the way, your concept of God has everything to do with how you, quote, walk with God on earth. How you perceive God. Is God against you? Is God for you? Is God just trying to get you? Or is God trying to bless you? How you perceive God. How you see God. Paul's dealing with that right now, of how they are theologically and biblically to perceive and understand God. And he deals with these big themes. Number one, he deals with the theme of God being a father. That was huge. Number two, God being a deliverer. And then number three, God as love. Romans chapter 8, verse 12. I'm going to give you a couple of verses prior to us getting into these points because he also gives us a paradigm of the constant challenge for the Christian. Remember what I said week two, week three, actually even week one. When you become a Christian and you're born again, you become a new person. But you still deal with this bodily, fleshly nature that we still have to grapple with sin. You're taken out of Adam. You're placed into Christ. But we still deal with a fallen, broken world, and we still have a flesh. And yet Paul says we're obligated to something. Romans chapter 8, verse 12, he says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Another translation is we're obligated. We're not, we're not debtors to pay for our own sin. Christ paid for our sin, but yet we are obligated. We're not obligated to pay for our sin, but we're obligated. Well, what are we obligated to? Paul talks about it. Therefore, brethren, we are obligated not to the flesh, not to our old life anymore. We're not enslaved to sin anymore. Yes, we still sin, but we're not enslaved to sin. We now have the power to say yes or no to that. Prior to that, we were led by our instincts and our appetites, but now as a follower of Jesus, we are empowered by God and we are no longer obligated to be enslaved to the flesh. Paul goes on, he says this. He says, No longer obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But... If by the Spirit. There's the contrast. The Christian life, by the way, the struggle for the Christian is not whether I'm saved or not saved. When you're saved, you're saved. The struggle for the Christian is: are you gonna walk in the flesh or the spirit? Are you gonna be controlled by your bodily impulses, or are you gonna be controlled by the spirit of God on the inside of you? That that's the Christian battle. It's the flesh or the spirit. And Paul says, You have a choice now. Everybody say, I have a choice. You have a choice now. It's a different power on the inside of you. I know what some of you say, well, you know, Pastor, you know I, but you don't understand. I'm Italian. I have an attitude. <laughs> but, by the way, I think I said this week, too. I said, you know, the first people that got the gospel were the Jewish people, right? The second people that got the gospel were the Samaritans. They were half Assyrians, half Jew. The third people that actually got the gospel was Cornelius, the Italians. Come on. How many of y'all know God loves Italian people? <laughs> But 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 I want to qualify. You can't say, "Yeah, I'm a Christian, but you know, I'm Italian, so I still go off the road. Right. No no, you're not obligated to that anymore. You're not obligated to well, you know, my grandma, you know, we've always had this, or we've always had this addiction, or we've always had that. No no, you're not obligated to that anymore. You're not obligated to well, my grandfather was dysfunctional, my parents were dysfunctional, I'm dysfunctional. No no, you're not obligated to that anymore. You're actually obligated to a different way of life. This is not a heaven or hell issue. This is about walking with God in the spirit or the flesh issue. This is about being defeated or overcoming in this life. Everybody say, I'm not obligated. You're not obligated to walk in the flesh. You're not obligated to that old lust. You're not obligated to that old temper. You're not obligated to that past dysfunction. You are now contrastingly obligated to walk according to the spirit. That's what he says. Verse 13, but if by the spirit, that's the challenge for the Christian, the flesh or the spirit. But if by the spirit we put to death the deeds of the body, I'm not controlled by that temper anymore. I'm not controlled by that lust anymore. I don't have to be controlled by that pride anymore. I now, according to the power of Christ in me, not because of your personality profile, but because of Christ in you that's greater than anything around you. It's that power. It's the power of Christ on the inside of you. Now you can make a choice to live according to the Spirit. Interesting, Paul shifts gear, and he sets this thing up so beautifully. By the way, I want to encourage you to read Romans chapter 9. There's a, there's a different tone because he deals with these. He's dealing, it's almost like he deals with a personal overcoming life of the believer, Romans chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, all the way to 8. And then chapter 9, he, he, he shifts gears in very deep themes, but there is a marked difference. And so he concludes with chapter 8. And he gives the Christian, now that we're to walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He now says, by the Spirit, I want to give you three concepts about God. And I want to say this, these three concepts are so important. What you believe about God in these three areas will largely determine whether or not you walk according to the Spirit or the flesh. And and I'm going to show you why, because Paul teaches us. All right, here we go. Number one, three ways to experience the overcoming life. We've got to understand that God is our Father. By the way, a good Father. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Here we go. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, there's the theme. Flesh, spirit. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. When you became a Christian, you didn't receive the spirit of bondage. You received the spirit that set you free. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption. Boy, that's a new theme. Woe. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. When you become a Christian, your spirit, remember this, you are spirit, soul, and body. And when you become a Christian, your spirit, you're born again. So your spirit, Paul says this, he says, the spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with your spirit that you are now a child of God. When you get born again, when you trust Christ. And if children, then heirs, this is a new theme, adoption inheritance. You're an heir with God. Whoa. And you're a joint heir with Christ. Well, you know, I'm, I'm Bill Gates' son. He left me a lot. That means nothing. I'm God's son. He left me everything. There's a big difference. Oh, no, 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 no. There's no human equivalent Paul now begins to introduce this theme of sonship and daughter being being a child of God. You've received adoption, you have a spirit of adoption, and you're an heir, an heir. Wow. Somebody dies, you read the will, the New Testament, what is the word testament, it's a will. The the New Testament, you read the will, Christ died. You read the will, and you realize you have an inheritance. Whoa, what's the inheritance? Well, we're going to find out about it today. By the way, all the Bible is that. It's a discovery of what happened to you when you received Christ. Paul says you are an heir and a joint heir with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we shall also be glorified together with him. You know, it's interesting. People have, it's unfortunate, but people have this view of God, that God's mad at them. You know, God is always trying to get them. And, and I do believe in a judgment. I do believe when we die, I do believe in that. And I teach that. I don't have time to unpack that. But, 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 but my Bible shows me that God is, God is trying to save us. God is trying to deliver us. God is actually for us, not against us. God is God is a loving father. And it's interesting. What, what happens to this is that, and, and I want to be very pastoral in this, but and respectful, what, what happens is, is that God designed us that when we when we grow up, that again, no human father is perfect. Let me go on record saying that. No human mother, no human, obviously, we have a fallen nature, we get born again, then we're still in a process of growth and maturity, becoming like Christ. But But as a father, you can make better choices than not. In other words, you can make spirit choices versus flesh choices. And the point is for a little kid, a child, to see a father and and to to build a trust in a father, then when they get born again, there's an easy, don't miss this, an easy transition where you can try. My dad was consistent. My dad provided. My dad was there for me. Therefore, I get born again and my heavenly father protects me. My heavenly father provides. My heavenly father is there for me. In other words, the goal is that as parents, we somehow model, we model what a parent would be so that a person, when they get born again, remember, when you get saved, your spirit is made alive, but you still have to go through the renewing of the mind. So your mindset needs to be aligned with Scripture. And Paul talks about these Christians, you've received a spirit of adoption. God is a father. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes when you talk about fathers, it's, Matter of fact, this is one of the hardest things for people to get. Why? Because, because maybe your relationship with your earthly father wasn't good. I've had people say, Pastor, I like the Savior deal, but I don't like the Father deal. Because the Father deal brings pain. The Savior deal, look, I got it. But 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 but, but this message, just like Paul, we're, we're trying to help to, to clear up a misconception. God is a good father. And he wants to help us. He wants to save us. He wants to bless us. Paul outlines a very powerful picture. By the way, in the Greco, when I say Greco-Roman, Greece-Rome, again, Rome controlled the world. We have this culture that's infused here. In this culture, the, the concept of adoption was
1: huge.
0: Let me tell you how it happened. When somebody wanted to adopt the child, they actually brought the child in, and the father would actually lay hands on the child, and the father would declare over that child, in essence, not only their name, but also what I have, you now have. Who I am, you, you take on this. In other words, there's a transference. There's a powerful transfer. The child was actually brought into the presence of the Father, and the Father declared over them that they are now adopted. They now belong. Paul uses that same imagery. We believe the Holy Spirit's the author of the Bible, yet God used human instruments. And the instrument of Paul chose this term. Why? Because when we come to Christ, we listen. We're no longer orphans. How many people have felt left out before? Maybe you weren't picked on the team. You weren't first. You never kind of made it into the club. You never kind of made it in the group. You felt on the periphery, the margins. But when you become a Christian, you are plucked up and you are placed into the presence of Almighty God, and you're adopted by God. You're you're not on the edges. Romans 8 goes on to show us, he says, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. This language is so intimate. The word Abba is a child's, it's a word of tenderness. It's a tender, it's an affectionate word. I, something about this concept of our father adopting us. We belong to God. We're an heir with God. We're a joint heir with Christ. You talk about renewing your mind. I, um, we have three natural children by birth, and we have an adopted child, Annalise, our daughter from China, and she's so precious, and I, I have the privilege of experiencing the motions with both. Again, you can't compare anything attached to when, you know, when the, the babe your child comes forth. I'll never forget my daughter Isabel. When I first saw her, you know, she was a, just a baby. I thought, whoo, Man, I really need to get my act together. I can mess up somebody's life here. You know, it's, ma- marriage didn't mature me as much as having a child. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Now, I know, there's a st- I know some of you still question my maturity. I'm just saying it's better than it was. Okay, can I just say that? So, so I, I, I understand we have three nat- children by natural birth. But there's something about when you choose to adopt. Oh, man. It does something on the inside of you. It's so powerful. And I I tell you, that language of adoption, and I want to say this to everybody, every one of our campuses, you've been chosen and adopted by almighty God. You belong to God. Is that powerful? Is that powerful or what? Okay, I got to go to the next point here. Number two, God is not only our father when we trust Christ as our savior but he's also our deliverer. The truth that God is our deliverer gives us hope for the future. We live in a world that struggles against hopelessness, hence the series titled Hope Again. Hope is a becoming a rare commodity at times in our culture because of the pervasive challenges that people deal with, and whether on a global, national, or personal level. Think about it. I, even as I was writing this message, I was think about the global challenges that i'm 53 just the things that just the things that i've lived through or historically the things that that, that I read in history that, that the global challenges whether it's the World War I's or the Twos or Korea or Vietnam or you can even I remember as a young boy the Iran hostage crisis and all that took place there and then of course you can move up to Bosnia and, 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 and all the different genocides whether in Europe or Africa different things or Afghanistan Iraq the challenges there or even today even as I speak right now wherever this may go there's challenges even now even now I saw it yesterday with the Ukraine Christians. Did y'all see that? With them kneeling down and praying that God would spare their nation. How many of y'all saw that on the news yet? Yeah. And they're praying. They're literally kneeling down in snow in Ukraine, crying out to God that God would. Why is that? Because we live in a broken, fallen world. There's real challenges. So so whether the people are are, are praying for global deliverance, national deliverance, personal deliverance. Because of physical pain, emotional pain, psychological pain, this whole creation, in a sense, is is crying out for deliverance. Deliverance from what? Bondage, suffering, pain. Paul addresses that right here. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, sufferings, we don't believe in this panacea of life, you know, that, Listen, I, I, know that, I, I know that there's wonderful peaks, but there's also valleys. There's challenges. There's good times or there's tough times. And Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, but watch this comparison and the contrast, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The Christian life, it's a life of tension. It's a life of now, but not yet. But it is to come. And it's the tension of the better day tomorrow that actually gives you power to stand in the present. And Paul talks about that. It infuses us with faith. Why? It's the thought and the knowing in, our word of, in the Word of God and experientially by the Holy Spirit quickening in our heart that there is coming a better day. Puts faith in our heart. Verse 19, For the earnest expectation of the creation. Creation is quaking right now, folks. It's all quaking. This is not, by the way, memo from the Bible. This is not Eternity. This is not going to last forever like this. How many are grateful that there's coming day when all sighing, dying, crying, and pain is going to be washed away? How many all look forward to that day? (laughs) Paul says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who suffered it in hope. Because of the creation, we live in a broken cosmos. COVID-19, by the way, was part of the brokenness, globally speaking, a fractured world. It's never God's original intention. And yet we're coming into a moment and a time when there's a new heavens and a new earth. I've taught all about it last fall. First Thessalonians, book of Daniel, book of Revelation, Bible talks about it. And yet we're stuck in this tension in this moment. And yet, how do, we, how, do we, how do we draw from the hope for tomorrow to give us power in the present? Paul talks about it. He says this. He says, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered. Here's the theme of deliverance. God is our father. God is our deliverer. Creation itself will be delivered. By the way, as a Christian, Paul teaches this. You were delivered from sin when you became a Christian. Remember, everybody say spirit. Spirit. Everybody say soul. Soul. Everybody say body. When you became a Christian, you were delivered from sin in your spiritual life. You're born again. You are being delivered from the power of sin and evil in your present reality, and you will. Your spirit was transformed. Your soul is being transformed, and your body will ultimately be transformed. That's the Christian life. You're born again. Your spirit was delivered. Your soul is being delivered as you renew your mind. And your body will ultimately be delivered when your body takes on the incorruption, the resurrection of Christ. When you ultimately, we get a resurrected body. I know this is deep for some people. It's all in the Bible. You have been delivered. You are being delivered. You will be ultimately delivered. Spirit, soul, and body. Paul says this right here. And even the creation itself will be delivered. It is subjected To the brokenness of sin. But for the Christian. We don't have to live in the infutility. Listen to me. We don't have to live in hopelessness. But we can live in hope. There's hope in the heart of a Christian. And I want to say this. Whatever you may be going through in your life. Wherever you are. Whatever campus. whatever Whatever hopelessness you may feel. There is a hope for the Christian. You have been delivered. You are being delivered. You will be delivered. The Christian life, listen, it's not a life of H- Bertrand Russell. Some of you may know his name. He was a, Some of you that are inclined to philosophy, maybe you read about him in college or high school, graduate school. He was an outspoken atheist. He wrote a book, Why I'm Not a Christian. And he was interviewed in BBC Radio one time, and right as the end of his life, he's 81, 82 years old, and he actually said this, I have nothing to live for, I have nothing to hang on to, watch this, but unyielding despair. Let me say this respectfully, that is never the testimony of a believer in Jesus. We never hang on to despair, we hang on to hope. We hang on to hope. There's a better day coming. For those of you that are Christians, we can hope again. We can hope again. Everybody say hope again. Yeah. I have a lot to say. Let me go on. Verse 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but also we who have the first fruits of the Spirit. <clears throat> when you're a Christian, your spirit's changed. Your spirit's changed. You have the first fruits. What does that mean? You have been endowed and indwelt with the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit of God still lives in a corruptible body. The Spirit, we have the first fruits. There's coming a day when we will know even as we're known. We have the first fruits. Our spirit's alive to God, but we still struggle with this fleshly world. There's coming a day when we go to heaven for those that trust in Christ. When our life will be enveloped by the goodness and the grace of God, and there's no struggle with the flesh. There's no fear. There's no insecurity. There's no weird worry wearisome, nothing. Paul talks about creation itself, where we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs. Birth pangs. When you see an earthquake, a tremor, it's birth pang. What's being birthed? A new reality, a new heaven, a new earth. Paul talks about it. This, This is not how hopeless to think that this life is all there is. I can't believe I'm 53 years old. How many remember when a 53-year-old dude was old? Like real old. Don't raise your hand. Are you with me? For the Christian, we go from faith to faith to glory to glory, and yet the reality is there is a groaning on the inside of us. Paul then uses this word, even we groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Our spirit was changed. Our soul being changed. Our body will ultimately be changed. I have been around people that have grown physically. All of us have because of physical pain. I've been in hospital rooms for. I've heard people groaning. It's, it's, it's surreal. It's like, oh, That is the verbal declaration of physical and or emotional pain. Watch this. It's a groaning. And let me tell you what a groan is. Here's a groan. A groan is the gap between what is and what ought to be. It's where you are, but the reality is what ought to be. And by the way, what is coming? People groan physically. People groan emotionally emotionally. We all, as Christians, are groaning spiritually. We see something happen in the world. We see something take place on a personal level, a national level, global level. And, 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 and then we pray, we cry out to God. And there's a groaning. Why? Because there's a, there's a gap between where we are and what ought to be and what is coming. Creation is groaning right now. Creation is groaning for a better day. And it's coming. It's coming. I love this verse, two of my favorite verse in the Bible. Then Paul says, but we know all things. Everybody say all things. All oh man, this is so good. This will put faith in your heart. <laughs> we know that all things work together for good. Even watch this. This is so powerful and redemptive. Even when we blow it and make bad choices, yes, somehow, some way, in God's wisdom, in His sovereignty, in His power, He can even take that, put a U-turn on our life, and somehow He can turn all things together for our good to those that love God and are called to go. How many of y'all grateful for God's redemption in that? Man, that's good news. Okay, I'm almost done. We're wrapping up the series. God is our Father. Everybody say, God is our Father. Everybody say, God is our Deliverer. You have been delivered. You are being delivered. And ultimately, we will be delivered. Last point, and we're done. By the way, I can't wait to teach you the Lord's Prayer during Lent. Six weeks, I'm going to teach you from the Scripture when the disciples said to Jesus, Lord teach us to pray. The Lord's Prayer, I want to say this respectfully, it's not just to be recited, it's actually to be prayed through. There's different topics in it, and we're going to teach on that. Six weeks. All right, here we go. Last one, we're done. And then we have some sugar for all the campuses. In case you didn't get the Spirit, you'll get sugar. (laughs) They both have an S. All right, here we go. That was cheesy. I just made it up. I shouldn't have said it. Romans chapter 8. Here we go. Okay, here it is. The grand closure. What then shall we say to these things? What things? The trials, the tribulations, the pain, global, national, personal. If God is for us, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us. By the way, I I went on social media during the pandemic. I stayed on it because it was the only way I could communicate with people for a couple months. And and I actually posted this yesterday or maybe two days ago and. Instagram or Facebook, actually both. And I said, think of any challenge that you have before you. By the way, this is something to declare over your life every day. Whatever that challenge is, if God is for me, who can be against me? Who is what? Who is that circumstance? Who is that challenge? Who is that? Whatever that who is, that who may be a person, place, or thing, or a circumstance, or a trot, whatever. If God is for us, Paul says, who can be against us? What is he doing? He's clearing their mindset that there's a God in heaven that is for you. He's for you. Well, I tell you, this man, God's up there, he just kind of ticked off at everybody. And, I don't talk to God, man. God's up there, he just kind of mad. God is for you. The Bible said. That's what Paul says. He's for you. He's for you. He's for you. if God is for you, you know what somebody means? If they're for you, it means they're not against you. That was deep theology. He's for you. Who can be against us? In other words, if God's got your back, it doesn't matter what's in front of you. If God's got you, it doesn't matter. <sighs> he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he with him freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, week two. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen. I mean, this is faith building. Who is even at the right hand of God? Who makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? There's no trial. There's no devil. There's nothing that can separate us. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Yet into all these things, what things? Everything he listed and even more. In all these things, we are more than conquerors than him who loved us. How many are grateful for God's love in our lives? Okay, stay with me. Stay with me. I'm almost finished, for I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creative thing shall be able to separate me. From the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be... By the way, we ought to wake up every day. If God is for me. You can actually switch it. God is for me. Who can be against me? God is for me. Everybody say, God is for me. Is for me. Who can be against me? Implication is nothing, by the way. If God's got your back, whatever's ahead of you, is. It, it, psh, God's got it. I'll close with this story. When I teach people the word... And as I, all of us, remember this. When you're born again, you're delivered. You're delivered from the power of sin. Doesn't mean you don't ever sin again. We have a flesh nature. But you now have the power to say no. According to the scripture. You've been delivered. Your spirit is alive to God. Your soul, your mind, will of emotions is being delivered as it's renewed by the word of God. Your body ultimately will be be delivered uh, at the resurrection. Long story. At the rapture, you get resurrected bodies. Whole nother message. Go back and listen to my tape series. Not tapes. That was in the 80s. I'm sorry. (laughs) DVD, whatever it was. I gotta get this one last point across. Stay with me. For a Christian to, and we all do it, but when we struggle to trust God today, we have to realize what he did yesterday for us. The story is told of a man who saw a young boy being beat up by, by a bunch of bullies. And he rushes in and boy is beat up. I mean, literally almost to the point of death. he grabs him and gets those bullies off and he pulls him and he brings him to the hospital and saves the boy's life. Then he pays the bill. But then he finds out the boy was an orphan and actually adopts him and brings him into his own home. One year after that, the boy one night is crying and the dad walks in and he says, why are you crying? He goes, I'm just not sure if I'm going to be able to have food for tomorrow. That's how he used to live. And he said, son, I delivered you from that group. I paid your bill. I adopted you and brought you. If I did all of that for you, I can help you today. When we understand God has adopted us, God has delivered us, and God is for us. There's no challenge, and I'm not trying to mitigate. I'm not trying to reduce the challenges that we all feel because they're all personal, but I'm telling you, God's got you. I know that's not good English, but it doesn't matter. God has your best interests. Trust Him. And I'm going to say this to you. I don't talk about this much in church, <laughs> but, but I had to get my mind renewed. I thank God my, mo- my mom and my dad, my real father, were divorced I thank God for my stepdad. He's listening to me today. And he's walked with God. I thank God they prayed for me. But, but when, you, when, you have, when you have a father that leaves you, you as a kid, and he left for drugs and alcohol, about alcohol addiction and drugs. And he wasn't living under a bridge. He was a corporate white collar business person that was on drugs and had an alcohol addiction. Publisher of a publishing company. And when he left that, you, as a kid, you reinterpret. Watch this. You reinterpret. Will God leave me? Is God for me? I got good news. When earthly fathers fail, which we all do, God, the heavenly Father, does not fail us, and he won't let us go. How many of y'all are grateful for that? Matter of fact, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads. Everybody to bow their heads. Just sense the presence of the Lord here. God loves you so much, man. Wow. Every one of our campuses, I'm going to ask all of our campus pastors to come on stage. But, but maybe you are not where you need to be with God. God is for you. He's not against you. Matter of fact, the Bible actually said that the Son of God came into the world, listen, not to condemn the world, but that people might be saved through him. Do you know Christ? Have you ever trusted Christ? That's what you have to do is just trust Jesus that he died on the cross for you. He was buried. He rose again. Do you know Christ? Do you know that you know if you die today that you're ready to stand before God? If not, just a moment. I'm going to give you an opportunity. I promise you I'm not going to embarrass you. But wherever you are, just with a show of hands, say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. I'm not sure if I die today I'm ready to stand before God. If that's you, would you just respond with a show of hands in just a moment? One, two, three. Quickly raise your hand. Pastor, I need Christ. God bless you, sir. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, guys. Anybody else? Pastor Steve, God bless you, buddy. God bless you, sir. God bless you, man, right there to sense the presence of the Lord. Can we just pray with those that are trusting Christ? Most powerful prayer they'll ever pray is right here. they are choosing to trust Jesus. It's the only thing. Let me tell you something. This this prayer will transform your life. Let's pray together with him, can we? Let's say, dear Jesus, I come to you today, a sinner in need of a Savior. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I let go of my past, and I turn to you. I turn to the cross. Say this. Say, Jesus, wash me with your blood. Give me a new heart, a new life, a new reason to live. Say this last thing. Say, Jesus, I take my life, and I put it in your hands. And let me pray. Father, I thank you for the sealing work of the Holy Spirit and the word of the living God taking root deep in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name.
1: For those of you who have just made that decision, congratulations, you were new, you were forgiven, and you are loved by God. So go ahead, mark this date so you will never forget the moment that you gave your life to Jesus. And here's the amazing thing. You don't have to do it by yourself. We as your church family wanna come alongside you and resource you in this brand new journey of following Jesus. You know, we would love the opportunity to follow up with you, to talk to you. If you would click the link in the chat room or text the word decision to the numbers 822-822, one of our pastors would love to reach out and talk to you to get to hear your story and resource you on this brand new life with Christ. And maybe you don't live close to one of our physical locations. Did you know that you're a part of our online family? And if you haven't already joined our online family Facebook group, what are you waiting for? Go ahead, head to Facebook right now and we would love to meet you there. And listen, before we end our time together today, we just wanna take a minute and remind you to invite someone to service with you next week. Man, there's someone in your life who needs the hope and the joy that can only be found in Jesus. And God wants to use you to reach out to them. So man, take some time to pray about and think about who God would have you invite. And we will see you same time, same place next weekend. We love you guys. We'll see you later.